following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning. Our second reading is from Micah. It'll be chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember how that King Balak of Moab devised, and what Balaam, son of Baor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The next reading is one that will be familiar to many people, the Beatitudes, but I would challenge you to just let the words hit your ears in a new way and think about just how incredibly profound it is that this is the way God sees us. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Kristen. We are um, going to come back to Jesus in a few minutes. Uh, We always come back to Jesus, by the way. I'm not going to start there, but I'm going to get there. And um, all kidding aside, if, if I ever don't get back to Jesus, uh, that's a sign that I've lost the thread. Um, and you should definitely remind me of the thread. Uh, you know, Artisan Church, our mission has been since day one to encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture, not generically, but how? 
in the way of Jesus. Yeah, thank you for those of you who, who have uh, done that, that um, homework on the Artisan Church website. That's really wonderful. <laughs> but that is who it is all about. The Word of God who became flesh, who took on a body and lived among us. Uh, the one who is called the image of the invisible God. The, the thing that we can see that is the, the thing that we can't see. The one who it, we are told is the exact replica of God's very nature. It's Jesus. So if you want to see God, you look to Jesus. And of course, as Kristen rightly said, those words from today's gospel reading are some of the most famous and important words ever spoken by Jesus, known as the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. So we will get there, I promise. But first, I wanted to spend a little bit of time with the Hebrew Bible reading for today, um, the one that you heard a little bit earlier in the service, because it does contain that, that special verse that will be familiar to many of you, verse 8, the one that says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's Micah 6, 8, meaning chapter 6, verse 8. And it's a pretty famous verse. Now, it's not like John 3, 16 famous, but it's pretty famous. Um, maybe especially, um, I don't know how to say this, maybe especially among the type of Christian person who finds himself at the type of Christian church like this. Um, right? Uh, some of you may have had a moment, like I had, where you discovered that verse and you went, oh, that's a little different take on, on the religion that I've practiced since I was, you know, prenatal. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, that's right. It, it's not one that you put on the sign uh, during the field goal kick, uh, but maybe it should be. <laughs> um, I don't actually remember where I first came across this verse, but I do remember that it was a revelation to me. It was a new way of thinking about what God wants from the people. Um, and and so here's the thing, though. Even if you do know that verse, and how many of you want to show off your Bible nerdery by saying, yes, I knew Micah 6.8. Put your hand in the air. You get, you get credit. You know a Bible verse. Good job. You can collect your cookie on the way out. <laughs> Children, there are no cookies. I'm sorry. It was a metaphor. It's a metaphorical cookie, which, in my opinion, is the second worst kind after oatmeal raisin. Um, <laughs> Mm. <laughs> See, I'm saying that controversial thing so that the controversy of God will seem like like a, a walk in the park compared to that. I, let's go back and look at Micah chapter 6, because the thing is, you might know that verse. You might be deserving of a cookie about Micah 6.8, but I bet you don't know Micah 6.1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7. And as I've told you so many times in so many different ways, I've just come up with a new way to say it. One verse is not the correct dosage of Bible, right? Usually. Usually one verse is not enough to get a sense of what's actually happening in the scripture that is being quoted at you or which you are quoting at someone else. So if you would like to look at uh, Micah 6 with me, um, you can just listen along. I'm not going to be like going through it word by word, but uh, it's on page 757 in the Red Bibles if you want to look at it. And I love how it starts. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord. 
controversy of the Lord is such a cool phrase. That's that would be like a punk Christian punk band name, maybe controversy of the Lord. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about it more in a minute. Uh, but first, we have to get through this part of the verse of the passage where there's so many weird references, allusions, if you will, allusions with an A, not an I, to other parts of the Bible, right? And I'm going to go through them and, and just really quickly sort of. Um, point them out to you. But I will say this. This is why reading more scripture is a good way to understand scripture, right? So the same way that a historian or someone in a certain Western heritage class taught by a certain teacher at a certain local college would memorize lots and lots of dates. The reason you do that is because thinking cannot be carried out without the materials of thought, and the materials of thought are facts, right? Some of you know. If you know, you know. Um, if you have no idea, let me explain what I mean. If you don't have those dates in your head, you can't sort of apply concepts to history because you don't know what happened near anything else in time. Does that make sense? Um, that's why you should memorize upwards of 150 dates in your freshman year history class. Right? Um, a musicologist who's studying modern music will go back through and listen to and understand and study as much of the history of music as they can so that they can see what's actually happening in context, right? A literature person who's, who wants to understand modern poetry or, or, or fiction needs to go back and see what, what has happened in that uh, art form and discipline forever. Painters who are learning to paint study old painters and copy them. All of this is very similar to the way I think about uh, understanding the Bible, which is not that like you, you need to win a sword drill, um, and as always, God bless you if you have no idea what that is. I, I, I'm so happy for you. Um, it's not so that you can win a Bible knowledge contest. It's so that you can understand more of Scripture. And this is, this is why, um, I'll, I'll land this plane very shortly, I promise. This is why, if you can manage to even just do a little bit of Scripture reading as often as you can, it, it sort of has this compounding interest benefit to you of understanding other parts of Scripture. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, and if you, had, if you haven't done that work, what's about to follow in Micah 6 might seem really weird. And when you heard it being read earlier, you might have been like, what on earth is this? <laughs> well, if it's your first time in church, welcome. Um, so it says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me. He says, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. This is one that most people will know something about. It's the, it's the exodus of the people out of slavery in Egypt uh, toward the promised land, the place that they were promised they would be, get to live in peace. Uh, and the people who led them out were Moses, the great prophet of Israel, the first major leader uh, of this season of God's people's lives, and his brother Aaron. Aaron and let us not forget, and I'm so glad that uh, Micah doesn't forget, his sister Miriam, because she was a big part of the story as well. Um, a very inconvenient fact for people who have this weird idea that people of certain genders can lead and other genders can't lead uh, the people of God. Um, and then he says, oh, my people, remember now, and I'm sure you'll all remember this too, uh, what King Balak, Bal <laughs> King, ba King, I can't even say it, King Balak of Moab devised when Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, this is a, a story where uh, the king of Moab, one of Israel's enemies, wanted, he was like, they're punching above their weight class, they're defeating everybody around them, and it looks like we might be next, so we need to 
nip this in the bud. And so he goes and gets this magician because he knows that the Lord has power for the people of Israel. He gets this magician to go and try to, um, you know, mess with the people of Israel. And the, that's Balaam. And he rides a donkey, but there's an invisible angel in his way. I mean, it's, that's, that's that classic tale you've heard a hundred times. Uh, and the invisible angel, like, won't let the donkey pass. And he starts beating the donkey and, and um, uh, well, I, I mean, what to say about that, except that um, those of us fortunate enough to have been reading the King James Version during our formative middle school years <laughs> had an endless supply of ass jokes as a result. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm going to get fired after this one, I can tell. <laughs> that one actually was in my notes, I'm sorry to say, yeah. And then it says, um, what happened from Shittim to Gilgal? It's just like a long journey. It's from one place to another, like in a song, you know, from Tampa to Tulsa or whatever it might be, all right? But most importantly for this passage, and it, it might be more familiar to, to many of you, but probably not to all of you, he starts to say, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Lord on high? And he mentions burnt offerings with calves a year old, thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. All of this is a reference, as many of you will know, to the, the temple sacrificial system, which was the way that the people of God understood not only how they could be made right with God for their many sins, individual and especially communal, but also how they would worship God, how they would show God the reverence and honor that God deserved as the creator of the universe. And this is really where we get to the point of the controversy of God, which was, as you saw, the title of the sermon today. Why should this be a controversy? Well, when you get to that last verse, the one that some of us already knew, Micah 6, 8, it comes at the end of all this stuff. Remember all the things that, that God did and, and remember them accordingly and worship God accordingly. And should I go to the temple? Should I make more sacrifices? Instead of like... My pigeon, should I get a calf? Should I make it like the rich person's sacrifice? Should I bring a ram? Should I bring thousands of rams? I really, really, really want to worship God in this perfect way. And I have so many sins to atone for, don't we all? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? And it's like Micah 6.8 comes in here and it's like, stop it. Will you stop it, please? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You're overthinking it, <laughs> might be the first reading of that verse. You already know what you're supposed to be doing. And here's the controversy because it's not just that this is simpler than you think. It's that you're distracting yourself with something else from the thing that's the most important. Now, I'll acknowledge what I think should be very, very obvious, which is that um, modern Christian worship looks quite different from Bronze Age um, Israelite worship in the temple. So these are not a one-to-one -one comparison, which is something we often need to be careful of. That's It's like a too, too quick a move sometimes with the scriptures to say, well, this word is here in this verse, and we use that word today, so that means the same thing. Well, not always. That having been said, I do wonder if we have our own controversy of God sometimes here in the Christian church. 
let me hear from you. Uh, let's talk about that. <laughs> what do you think might be a tension uh, between the way we worship God and this call of God to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God? And sometimes I get those interpolated. My brain just can't put them together, but you get my point, correct? Shout it out. What, what is something that might be in tension between those two ideas? Correct worship or good worship or right worship and doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. Oh, the worship of money. Interesting. A purity culture. Now, I am 0 for 2. I had some stuff that I thought people might say, which is why this is always like jumping out without a parachute. Feeling satisfied that attending church is enough. Feeling satisfied that attending church is enough, yeah. Uh-huh. Music style, yeah, like we've got to get this thing that, that fits our people. We're supposed to embrace culture, right, in the way of Jesus. Let's do it. He said, being at church too often, which is not usually an issue here. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, God's on our countryside, on, on our country's side, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, Bob Dylan wrote a song called With God on Our Side, uh, which I highly recommend you go read the words to. We actually, we actually did that song in worship once, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And, um, people did not, not every person picked up on the irony of that song. Thought we were really singing it, which was a problem. Um, yeah. What about, um, uh, Kind of like a phoniness. Have you ever seen anybody in worship with a little bit of phoniness? Right? And you could say, and I would, I would hope that you, <laughs> you would want to say, I'm not here so much, but like at my old church. <laughs> and I might say that. But sometimes I wonder, do we just exchange one type of phoniness for another? Right? Maybe, so the phoniness here is not like necessarily raising your hands with your eyes closed which is, by the way, not always a phony thing. You know what I'm saying, right? That's not, the kind of, kind of, that's not the sort of performative thing you do to show how spiritual you are here, but there might be other things you do here. What about the type of um, gatekeeping and exclusion that can happen in communities of worship? If we're really busy um, sort of patrolling the boundaries... That is in direct competition, or a direct opposition, I should say, with doing justice and walking humbly with God, especially, maybe. And once again, before you say, well, like, yeah, that's the, that was the whole reason I left my last church, because I know that there are a lot of you in the room who, who might have had that experience, because there's a certain type of gatekeeping going on. And when I say patrolling the boundaries, I do not intend that to be a criticism of some imaginary fundamentalist church where they patrol the boundaries of doctrine because obviously that happens, but I don't think any of us are like necessarily worried about that happening here. I will tell you, though, as a, as a pastor, I do patrol the boundaries of our community a little bit because there are certain, um, uh, certain ways in which I wish to keep this community safe. 
for those who are part of it because they desperately need it. But you tell me, when do I cross the line between being a good shepherd of the flock and protecting people from the danger that does sometimes await them in religious communities? And on the other hand, keeping people out of this space who would really benefit from being here and being um, in community with some of the very people I'm trying to protect. Hmm? So don't, with any of this stuff, it's, it is the exact wrong move to say, oh boy, I'm so glad we got that figured out. <laughs> I'm so glad our type of worship is not directly op- opposed to the call of Micah 6, 8. That's the wrong conclusion to draw. I think the biggest thing is that sometimes our form of worship Anybody's form of worship, not just our, like the big our form of worship, our way of worshiping, uh, um, can become a convenient distraction from the, the harder work that God calls us to do. I mean, as a hint about what I'm driving toward, we could look at some of, a couple of phrases from the other lectionary texts. There's usually at least four lectionary texts assigned. We, we very rarely get all four of them, which is why I encourage you to read them on your own. Um, but one of them says, do not lend money at interest and do not take a bribe again. Hmm. Who's being protected in that type of uh, guideline? Or uh, one of the other texts, which I think you will hear later, says God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. <laughs> this inversion of the social order. It's been a few weeks since we read the Magnificat. But I, I love the Magnificat Mary's prayer. It's, it's like, send the rich away. That's just a couple of examples. I mean, we could go back a, a few pages in our Bible and find Amos 5. Wait, now I'm confused. Is it back or forward? I'm, I'm not going to remember it. Somebody will, somebody will, you're quizzing me. It's fine. But Amos 5, wherever it might exist in the pages of the Bible, has this line that says, I hate, I despise your festivals. And no, God did not just get back from the Ren Fair. <laughs> sorry, that was also in my notes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, the Ren Fair people, I, I do love you. I don't love the Ren Fair, but I love you. That's the important distinction to make here. He says, I hate your festivals. And then he goes on to say, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melodies of your really cool electric guitars or harps. Then, much as with the Micah passage, comes the, the one you know. But, in other words, instead, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And you know who quoted those words. And it strikes me that here we are, decades after Dr. King so powerfully quoted those words from Amos 5, still existing in a society that is hell-bent on destroying black bodies. And this is the kind of work that we need to do. This is, 
um, it, with Scripture. This is the kind of sort of college-level work that we need to do with the Scripture. And I'm not talking about being a, a word nerd or anything like that. I'm trying to say, get beyond just reading these words and feeling finding inspiration in them. Get to the place where you are... Um, formed and shaped by scripture, where you've, you've, you've done the equivalent of memorizing the dates or studying the old music or the art, and you're starting to apply this to the world today, and you say, I'm seeing in these texts an inversion of the social order where those who are on the top are brought low, and those who are on the bottom are brought high and lifted up, and those who are wounded and, and harmed are healed, and those who have have kept others away from God are themselves now finding themselves outside of God's presence because of their actions. And in our society today, certainly that has a lot to do with with poverty, right? So when we read words like the poor, we sing the words all the poor and powerless. It's not literally about money though, is it? Because we can look around and see that there's an impoverishment of excess, of equality. And so this is what I was struggling to say at the beginning of the service today. We're going to try to sing these songs with this horrific murder in, a, in our minds. How can we even do that? This is the tension that we live in. God is on the side of the poor and the needy. The weak and the despised, the hated and forsaken, all of which we could apply, let's be honest, more to certain people in our society than to others. And Jesus took on himself all of those titles, all of those worlds, words, all of those names. Literally, embodying God's love and favor, blessing it with his existence, which was snuffed out by the state. Is this too on the nose? So this does bring me back to his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, the the Beatitudes. And I just need to tell you, as as a pastor, as a preacher, I don't really use that word about myself very much, but like, as somebody who delivers sermons, every time I find myself having to preach a sermon on the text of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to preach a sermon about the greatest sermon ever given? And by the way, it was given by Jesus. And one of these days, I'm going to do the thing that I've been threatening to do for years, which is just to like stand up here and read the Sermon on the Mount as many times as it takes to get to 20 minutes or so and then say, that's the sermon Maybe that's what I should have done today, instead of making fun of people who go to the Ben Fair. <laughs> I am going to read the Beatitudes to you again. Not that many times, but I want you to hear it once more at least. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do while I read these words. I just want you to try to take it in. Yes, it does flow, I hope, out of everything I just said about Micah 6.8. All the other stuff we've talked about. But you don't necessarily need that. What I want you to do is listen to these words and identify where you find yourself in them. And if you are a a read-along-with-me-on-the-page type of person, you could stick your finger on that verse when you see it. 
because you're going to find one that's you. If you're reading it on the screen, you can just kind of like give a little thumbs up. That's the one. You're holding on to that one. And what I want you to do is receive the blessing accordingly, whichever one of these is you. You're blessed when. Blessed are the. That's going to include you at some point. And I have to tell you this, though. If you do not find yourself anywhere in these words, um, as some days I can't find myself, it might be time for some kind of change. Like you're sitting here in church worshiping God, and yet you're not found anywhere among a list of people who Jesus names blessed. Your assignment is to stop going to church if that's the case. Um, or at least think really hard about why you do. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't really want you to stop coming to church. But I do want you to think about what happens when you're here and whether you might be in that place where there's this controversy happening in your own heart. Where Just the act of, of worshiping God in the way that you know how, if it's not resulting in a, a, a mental transformation, a change of mindset, which is what the word repentance literally means, if that is not happening as a result of you being in this room and, and singing these songs and listening to this person talk and talk and talk, if that's not the result that is being produced in your heart, then I hope that we can be a part of figuring that out with you. But if you have to choose between those two things, I know where my choice would be. I know where, where it seems like Micah, the prophet Micah's um, admonishment and advice and suggestion would be. And it looks different for every person. So if the things that I've said today as specific examples are not the ones that, that you feel God is working on your heart about, that's okay. Uh, let me pray for us.
God, these words from the prophet Micah and the prophet Amos and from your son Jesus Christ have uh, filled us with many feelings today. They have hit me in a way that I didn't expect even as I've been talking about them. And I pray that um, all who are here today and and listening to these words read from Scripture and um, proclaimed would receive the, the truth and message that your Spirit has for them. We pray in all things that we do, including our Sunday worship, that we would be drawn closer to the heart of God for the poor and needy, for the downtrodden and outcast, for the hated and forsaken. And if if we're feeling correction today, Lord, may it inspire us to do the thing that you have told us to do. The thing we know we're supposed to have been doing all along. Grant that we might be a community that forms and shapes each other into people who obey that clear command. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.